Did anybody here know the words of that song? Schoolhouse Rock. It rocks. Hey, can we get the board up here? You may be asking yourself, why would we show Schoolhouse Rock? But uh, we're starting a new series this morning. We're going back to the book of Colossians, which we took a detour from over the holidays. And we're back into it, and we're in chapter 2 now. And uh, we're going to be talking about today, Paul, the Apostle Paul's uh, big three. And then over the next three weeks after today, we'll be talking about uh, the powerhouse three things that he wants us to know about our own redemption, the power of Christ's work in our lives, and uh, what it accomplished. So, uh, three. And I want to remind you, you know, this uh, church, which was a church that Paul had never been to, that there were a couple things that were going on. Paul wrote this letter from prison in Rome. And in fact, he was uh, waiting for his execution. So he was on death row, waiting for the time when his life was going to be snuffed out, writing letters to the different churches. And when he had passed through earlier in his ministry, he had passed through Ephesus and he was preaching the gospel that we've been singing about and what we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. And there was a guy named Epaphras that became a Christian through Paul's teaching in Ephesus. And he was so, uh, his life was so changed by this gospel of Jesus Christ that when he left Ephesus, he traveled back home to Colossae and began to preach the message that Paul had preached to him that changed his life. And it's kind of cool because as he goes back home and begins to tell people what happened to him and explain to him who this Jesus is, people there started becoming believers. And we see the birth of the church in Colossae. Well, he started facing some problems because some false teachers started to move into the church at Colossae and started challenging the true gospel that Paul was preaching. And Epaphras was so in love with this church. He was so in love with what God had called him to do. And he so cared about this community that he considered his family. And that this threat was so serious to this community that he decided to travel from Colossae all the way to Rome to his mentor Paul and say, Paul, we need help. The cool thing about this, well, it is for us, but I'm not so sure it was for him. It was about a thousand miles from Colossae to Rome. If we had a map, I could show you. This, this is a hard trip. And uh, I'm sure it took him many months. And when he got there, he spent time with Paul. And uh, then he had to turn around and go back. So he spent nearly a year of his life traveling to get this message from Paul to bring back to the people. So what was this message that he risked his life for? That he gave a year of his life. It's hard for us to imagine a generation of text messaging and emails, you know, to, to uh, spend a year of your life hand-delivering a letter. That letter better be pretty important, right? Well, let's go to Colossians chapter 2, and let's see what Paul has to say to us. He says in verse 1, I want you to know how much I'm struggling. Your Bible, if you have a different version, may be saying how much I'm suffering for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. So he doesn't know any of these people, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth in chapter 2 is, hey, I want you to know how much I'm suffering for you. Now let's just stop for a minute. Does that seem odd to you? When was the last time that uh, you met a stranger and you said, hey, 
I know we don't know each other, but uh, can we stop just for a minute and let me talk a little bit about how much I suffer for you? Imagine doing that with your friends. Hey, I know we're about to order and we're at a great restaurant, but could we just stop for a minute and let me just explain how much I suffer being your friend? <laughs> Have you ever done that? Try that in marriage, all right? That's not real romantic, is it? Honey, I love you. We've been married for a lot of years, and I know it's our anniversary, and instead of talking about our dreams for the future, could we just talk about how much I suffer being married to you? It just doesn't fit, does it? So why is Paul doing what we find very awkward to do in our everyday life? Well, he tells us. Listen to what he says. My purpose. <laughs> Pretty simple, isn't it? The Bible's so hard to understand. My purpose in verse 2, the reason I'm telling you this is that they, talking about all the believers, may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we have three big things that he's saying here. The reason I'm sharing with you that I'm suffering is, one, that you would be encouraged. Two, that you would be united in love. And three, that you would also be united in understanding. The big three. Now, we could take these things apart, each of them, but before we even start thinking about doing that, I want to challenge you to think about these three things as not separate from one another, but I, I want you to see them as, as linked to one another. That what Paul is saying to this community, uh, this first generation of believers, these three things should be locked together. Encouragement, United in love and united in understanding. It's kind of like, uh, if you know Schoolhouse Rock, a few of you in here have played the game Red Rover. Do you all know what that game is? It's where a line of kids line up and they, they lock their arms together. And, you know, and they're just some cheat and do the hand finger lock. That's not allowed, all right? You, can't, you also can't do the pocket grab, all right? That's not allowed. That's, you know, no, this is just pure locking arms and you go red rover red rover send goober on over all right and one the kid that you name comes running and they're trying to bust through and break the bond between you and your brother in the war of red rover they're trying to break the link i know this sounds crazy but I think Paul was thinking about Red Rover when he wrote this. Because what happens if they break the line? Yes. They get to go back and what do they get to take with them? The person of their choosing from that team, right? Right? And they usually take back their friends because, you know, they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings when they should take back the strongest, all right? <laughs> This is war. Listen to Paul in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depends on human traditions and the basic principles of this world rather than on Jesus Christ. The literal word captive there means don't let anybody kidnap you. In other words, don't let them bust the line. 
of the link between encouraged, loved, and understanding. Because if they do, they're going to kidnap you and take you to the other side. See how I think Paul was thinking about that? Now this word encouraged, let's go through them real quick. This is a powerful word here. You know, this is powerful when we talk about it. Because it's no weak thing. And we're going to come back around to it. But what I want you to see right now is that Paul, he was crazy in his understanding of this powerful word of encouragement. If you go to Colossians chapter 1 and look over in verse 24, he says, listen to this. Now I rejoice. Or another way of saying it, I am encouraged. I am full of courage and joy in what? In what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, he's not saying that what Christ did on the cross was not complete. It was complete. It was finished. He completed the work. He took the whole wrath of God. But what Paul is saying is now as the church moves forward in its war of Red Rover, there are going to be casualties. There's going to be suffering because this battle matters. And he says, I am willing I am encouraged to suffer as I play my role in this struggle. This is a crazy thing for us to embrace. Let me just talk about it. Okay, it's, it's crazier than saying to somebody, I suffer because I love you. Which we do, don't we? But because for me to say, I find courage in my suffering. I find rejoicing in my suffering. It's a crazy concept for us to do. You know, this week, uh, I was reading, I don't know how I ended up on it, but I started reading about these people that do ultra marathons. Uh, these are very long. These are like marathon. That's like somebody runs a marathon and goes, that's not enough. Let's turn around and do it again. Then they run it again and they say, that's not enough. Let's turn around and go back. And then, well, that's not enough. There's actually a marathon called the Badwater Marathon. Has anyone heard of this? It is a 135-mile foot race. Now, if that's not enough, it is through Death Valley, where the average temperature is 115 degrees. So I'm reading about this, and these people, they can't run in, like, shorts, okay? They have to run in full body suits because the sun will cook their skin. And when they, with big hats, and they're constantly spraying themselves with water, and when they run, they have to run on the white, the, the white strip on the road. You know what I'm talking about that marks out the lanes? Because if they get off the white strip, the heat from the road in the desert melts their shoes. Okay, now I want to be honest. Is there anybody in this room that that appeals to you? I know there's got to be one. And you, you're probably so crazy that you're not going to say it appeals to me. You're just going to go and do it. That's crazy, isn't it? And this idea, if we're serious about it, I mean, seriously, think about it. If we're serious about saying to Paul, your encouragement is so strong that you find, you find joy in your suffering, you find courage in your suffering, seriously, let's step into the strength of that. Because we, if we understand what Paul understood, the foundation of his encouragement. So let's move to united in love. He says, I pray that I share this with you so you be encouraged and united in love. Because Paul wanted them to share in his suffering. 
Paul wanted to tell him about his suffering because he wanted this community of people to share in his suffering. See, Paul understood something here. He understood that suffering has the ability to knit us together. That struggles have the ability to knit us together in a community. When we start making room in our lives for each other, when we start making considerable room in our lives for each other, not just dating. Now, I have to confess to you that dating, there's a lot of appeal to dating. Because in dating, you can really be anybody you want to be. Isn't it true? I mean, you, you, know, you get all dressed up, you wear cologne and perfume, you, know, you take time not to smell bad or look bad, you check your nose for bears and you know, make sure there's no forest growing in your teeth. I mean, you, know, you matter, but with somebody that you've known all your life, like maybe your mom or dad, you don't really consider those things when you go and see your parents, do you? Because they've made room for you in your life. You can give them the nitty-gritty ugliness of all of it. But in dating, sometimes we want to protect ourselves and protect others from the real harshness of who we are. And it's easy sometimes, even in the church, to date the church, to date a community. That I'm really not going to step in and say to this community or to the people of this community, I want to make room in my life for you. By sharing one another's burdens. Paul was doing this and he cared. And because he cared, it cost him. And it cost him in pain. Now, if you're like me, I can turn on the television set and I can see, you know, a thousand people lost their home in Bolivia because of a mudslide. And I can go, oh, what's for breakfast? You know, I don't know those people. I mean, I, you know, I I'm, can care and... You know, but it doesn't change what I'm going to eat for breakfast. It doesn't change that I'm going to get in my car and go to work. And I probably won't give it another thought. But, you know, I can remember days when my daughter would come home from third grade and her feelings would be hurt because somebody didn't sit next to her at lunch. And I would be heartbroken. You know, I would suffer with her. It's so silly, isn't it? A thousand had lost their home. Why didn't Susie sit next to me at lunch? They don't seem to compare unless you've made room in your heart and your life for one and not for the other. And Paul is saying here that he wants them to make room in their lives. Listen to, uh, this is Henry Nouwen in his book, The Road of Daybreak, A Spiritual Journey. When we honestly ask ourselves which persons in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it's those who, instead of giving advice, or solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. I can just tell you, if you make room in your life for other people, like Paul, you will suffer. You will feel the pain that they feel. Renee and I, we had a conversation last week about our budget. And uh, it was an interesting thing how that discussion of money turned into an argument. Imagine that. Can you? And uh, we both just had to walk away from the conversation. Huh, why can't she just see that I'm right about everything? 
You know, so she prayed about that and came back repented, and then it was all better. Yeah, and then she started calling me Lord, and it was, it was awesome, you know. No, you know, what happened was, you know, we kind of camped out on it for a day, and then we came back, and here was the question that, if you're married, this is a question of intimacy. And it's this question. Please help me understand. You. Not the situation, not your argument, not the point that you're trying to make. Help me to understand you. Because, you know, what's funny is when you're talking about something like a budget, that's a very surface level. But you know what we bring into that discussion? Oh, man, there's some baggage there. All right? I mean, talk about the way your family dealt with money. Maybe you came from a family that, you know, money was just the thing that created more fear in your life than anything else. And, and spending anything without a coupon was almost like committing adultery, you know? <laughs> That's your family heritage. And maybe you're married to somebody who came from a wealthy family that never balanced a checkbook in their lives, you know? <clears throat> do you think that there's some conflict there? And do you think it's just about money? Or do you think it's a view that goes much deeper about how we define ourselves and the way that we live? See, when you start saying, help me understand you, not the issue, but you, now we start getting into fears and we start getting into doubt and we start getting into past history. We start getting into the baggage and the messiness that makes us who we are. Isn't that true? But to want to go there and not fix it, Because it's one thing to go there and say, I'm not going to suffer that, so I'm going to make you like me. Because if you were like me, neither one of us would suffer. Some of you are laughing because you've been married a while. Some of you are not laughing because you've broken your back trying to make that happen. How about going there and say, I want to be there because that's where you are. And I, I will share that pain with you. You think that's suffering? See, our love should lead us to understanding. But here's the beautiful thing that Paul understood, that when we're united in love, it does something. It does something when we really... Now, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about trying to get people to love you. I'm talking about we're united in loving one another. does something that Paul understood. Remember, these three are linked together. It gives us understanding. I'm not just talking about understanding of the people you're in relationship. It gives us understanding of the gospel. Listen to what Paul says. Let me read it again. So that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, it's only in the journey of love will we understand the color, the brilliance, the different dimensions, the spectacularness. Is that a word? Spectacular. You know what I'm talking about? All the different colors of the gospel by loving you and you loving me. When he says mystery here, he's not talking about like this mystic, you know, it's, you know, mysterious. Mysterious is not the word that he's using here. When he uses the word mystery here, he's talking about something that used to be covered, 
but now the veil has been lifted and now it's being revealed. And the mystery that he's talking about here is Christ. See, Christ is not a map to the treasure. Christ is not a secret potion that gets us what we want. He's not the key to the answer. Christ was a person and is a person. God in flesh that stepped into our lives in love. Listen to Matthew chapter 11. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Isn't it amazing that the people that Jesus came to beckon unto himself are those that are weary, are those that are burdened, those that needed rest? Isn't it amazing that the very journey that Paul is asking us to step into with one another is the very thing that Christ has done with us? That he stepped into the middle of our pain. He stepped into the middle of the messiness of who we are. And he gives us rest. And he confirms with us that his yoke is easy. He's gentle. He's humble at heart. And that he gives rest. It's amazing, isn't it? That when Christ comes into the picture, he brings with him treasure, wisdom, and knowledge. Now, I don't know about you. You know, if you're like me when you were a kid, uh, you always had, you know, you played the games where you dreamed about finding a treasure chest, you know, and you crack it open and there's gold bouillons and I don't even know what that is. But, you know, my grandfather had a, uh, a big barn on his property with a big attic that had stuff stuffed all up in there. And we must have tore through that attic. I, every time we went to my grandparents' house, we dug through every inch of that attic. Even though we'd been through it every time, we were convinced when we came back the next Christmas, we were going to find the treasure chest that had been hidden all this time, or the map to the treasure chest. Imagine as a kid that you find a treasure chest like that. And you crack it open and you look in and you go, oh, it's the treasure, you know? And then you close the lid and say, hey, let's go get a turkey sandwich. incomprehensible, isn't it? Not only are you going to kick open that thing, you're, you're going to dig through every inch of gold coins to make sure there's not something underneath all of that that you're missing out on. Right? I bet there's a dragon egg underneath all of this. We'll raise it. And it'll be our own. We will call it Drawn. Here's what I'm saying to you. The Lord is unveiling the mystery of Christ. And he's saying to us, Christ is a treasure. And it's an invitation for us to dive into that treasure and explore the nuances at it. But you can't do it from a distance. No. You can't do it. You've got to get your hands into the physical touch of community and into the journey of living with the real God who gives us his son, Jesus Christ, in a very real relationship. If you stay at a safe distance, if you decide that all this is a bunch of religion and it's about church, and you know, I listen to him when I go to church, you are going to miss out on all the dynamics. It's just like believing 
that all marriage is is just not living by yourself anymore. Come on. There is a uh, movie that came out a few years ago called Goodwill Hunting. And it was about a young man who was a genius. He was brilliant. He had isolated himself from everybody because being in relationship with people hurt too much. And he was brilliant. He'd read every book you can imagine. And because he was so brilliant, uh, the school that he was going to sent him to a counselor to try to deal with some of the emotional uh, and other things that he was dealing with in his life that he refused to deal with. And the counselor got nowhere. Everything he tried just hit a brick wall. Until finally, he said this to the young man. This is the Robin Williams character, Sean. They're sitting out uh, by a lake in a park. He says, so if I ask you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him. Life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? But I'll bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You've never actually stood there and looked up at the beautiful ceiling, seen that. If I asked you about women, you'd probably give me a syllabus about your favorites. But you can't tell me what it feels like to wake up next to a woman and feel truly happy. You're a tough kid. And I'd ask you about war, you'd probably throw Shakespeare at me, right? Once more into the breach, dear friends. But you've never been near one. You've never held your best friend's head in your lap and watched him grasp, gasp for his last breath, looking to you for help. I ask you about love, you'd probably quote me a sonnet. But you've never looked at a woman and been totally vulnerable. Know some, known someone that could level you with their eyes, feeling like God put an angel on earth just for you. Now you're saying to him, you know, you got to get in. It's the messy journey of exploring the treasures and the mysteries of Christ and us, the hope of glory. The words of 1 Corinthians 13 kind of rang out when I was preparing this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. And do you know how absolutely impossible that list of love is? And what's magical, what's beautiful about that is that love unravels me to the point to where it becomes impossible and I get to the end of myself and when I get to the end of myself, then I begin to understand my deep need for the gospel. Then I begin to hear the words afresh when I have absolutely, utterly failed in my attempts to unite with you in love. When I try to love somebody and it hurts so bad that I don't know I can take the next step, that I don't have the answers for your problems, that I stay up at light, late at night crying over the things that you're going through because your burdens have become my burdens. You know, it's amazing, Epaphras, in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says, Epaphras suffers for you. And the word that he used, suffered there, is the word we get agony from. It was the name of the arena that they hosted the Olympics in. They called it the, the arena of agony. And that's where we get the word suffering. Because Epaphras was struggling, fighting, contending in the heavenly realms for this community. And Paul says, he is suffering for you in prayer. Can you imagine living your life where you suffer for other people in prayer? Imagine that kind of love. 
And when you get to the end of yourself and saying, I don't know if I'm capable of that, then the gospel takes on a whole new color, doesn't it? I love because I am loved. If I don't love well, I don't need to learn a new trick. I need to go back to the beginning and understand how much I'm loved. Right? This stuff is true, guys. I forgive. Why? Because I am forgiven. Right? If I have a hard time forgiving somebody, if I'm holding on to bitterness, if I'm holding on to resentment and I can't forgive, it's because I've lost sight of the love that God has for me through His Son, Jesus Christ, and I have lost touch with the forgiveness that He has given me. It takes me back to the gospel. I serve because I have been served. I give everything because everything has been given to me. When we become stingy and greedy and hoarding and re re keeping our community from the things that are ours, it's because we have lost sight of what's been given to us, isn't it? It all pushes us into the gospel. And when we get pushed into the gospel, we begin to understand that I'm rich. I have the treasure. I have understanding. See, it's amazing. As until you understand that you're a treasure, it's very difficult to treasure anybody. A good friend of mine, George Landalt, when we talk about uh, being a husband, he always has, this is one of his, if you know George, he has his little sayings. And this was one of the sayings, well, I'm not going to be able to do my George because none of you will, well, most of you don't understand. You can't be a good husband until you learn to be a good bride. Doesn't that sound like George? You can't be a good husband until you learn how to be a good bride. Until we understand what we are and what we've been given, it becomes impossible for us to give it to other people. So these are linked together. When I come to the end of my pride, which love requires me to do, when I come to the end of my self-protection, I am right. When I come to the end of my self-love, don't hurt me. When I come to the end of my self-glorification, worship me. Because love requires me coming to the end of all three of those things. And I put them down. And I no longer am fighting this fight to live out of my pride. When I surrender these three things, so that I can put somebody else first. When I understand the gospel, it finally sets me free to love. And it brings me back to this right here. Encouragement. The word means to come alongside. It actually means to be comforted. Isn't that remarkable? The idea that Paul wants us to remember this. In this journey of loving and being loved, we are not alone. We are not alone. Something has happened in the gospel. The Holy Spirit now has been given to us. He says, I'm your constant companion. I am your comfort. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. See, some of us today, I don't know about your situation. We started the service by saying maybe many things conspired to get you here this morning. And maybe some of those things that got you here this morning, you say... There is no encouragement in those things. Red Rover, Red Rover. Has something broken through the line for you? Has something taken you captive? Have you forgotten 
what the Lord has done for you? Have you forgotten what He has empowered you to do? Then I encourage you to remember. Encourage you to remember so that you can have courage that you're not alone. Because you've been set up. You've been ambushed by this mystery. If you're in Christ, listen to this, you've already been knit together by other believers in this room. Isn't that crazy? The same blood flows through us. We are brothers and sisters. We are in the family of God. We are destined for eternity together. We are already knit together. For some of you that turned your stomach, I know. You've already have the mystery of Christ. He's given us understanding about it. He's already unveiling it. You already have these things. Be encouraged. He's already come alongside of you. It's funny. I always thought it would be hilarious. Uh, in the movie Castaway, where Tom Hanks is stranded on the island, and he starts unpacking all the FedEx boxes, and then there's one with those wings on it, you know, and he's like, oh, it's hope, you know, I'm not going to unpack that one. Wouldn't it been crazy if he would have finally delivered it and the woman goes, oh, my satellite phone. Come on. Let it sink in for a minute, all right? Bad jokes have to do that. Imagine him sitting on an island and already has everything he needs to get off the island. And what I'm saying to you guys is this, is that if you're in Christ today, that he has knit you together. He has made you for this journey of love.